0: Welcome, I'm Roxanne Spring, your personal midwife after hours, celebrating and promoting wisdom and power in pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Today, I am delighted to have with me Crystal Ogle. She is a certified professional midwife and a Washington State licensed midwife who has a unique home birth practice on Whidbey Island. She loves teaching, learning from, and supporting the next generation of midwives. For years, she worked as faculty and staff member at the Midwives College of Utah. A midwife of color herself, she supports social justice and is a health disparity activist. Crystal is board chair of the Washington Alliance for Responsible Midwifery, the WARM organization. She shares her life with her husband, three kids, one of whom is off on her own, and two dogs. Crystal is excitedly awaiting the arrival of her first grandchild this fall. She loves to hike and explore our region, including its many beaches. Her family loves to travel especially taking road trips, and they love board games and value family tradition, hosting festive family gatherings frequently. Oh, I am so delighted and excited today to welcome you, Crystal Ogle, to Midwife After Hours. Thank you for being here.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I've never done anything like this before, so I'm kind of excited for this opportunity.
0: Oh, there is so many things. You're such a wealth of experience and knowledge and you have so many different aspects for us to talk about. I always like to begin, though, with tell me about your own discovery process of midwifery.
1: Well, I have an interesting process. It actually was uh, began with the birth of my first child and my first childbirth experience. I was super young, um, well not super young, I was 19, which is young, um, and I had an unplanned pregnancy and I did not even realize that there were any other options besides obstetricians and doctors. I had never heard of midwifery before. And so I went to go see an obstetrician. I was living in St. Paul, Minnesota. And so I was away from all of my family. Um, and so being pregnant for the first time and being away from my very close knit family was an experience in and of itself. So. Um, I was 41 weeks along a week over my due date and my baby, um, we discovered at a prenatal had turned transverse or sideways, um, within my uterus. And so babies can't be born that way and so the doctor had pretty much just wanted to do a c-section and I was not wanting that I I knew I didn't want surgery Um, I asked if there was anything else and they they offered to do a version or externally try to rotate the baby. And so um, I went ahead with that. That experience was very traumatic. I didn't understand. There was no explanation as to what that meant or how it actually happened. They gave me medication that made me feel different, and I wasn't – ready to experience that. Um, I was told that if this didn't work, that the only other option would then be surgery. So I was afraid and I was scared. Um, It was really traumatic. It was very kind of violent. Um, The baby was grasped by the bum and by the head and forcefully turned or tried. And the baby fought Um, Mm -hmm. and I had bruising left on my abdomen it was it was pretty intense and he gave a good effort but it was unsuccessful and he told me that and he said um you know you're going to be scheduled for a c-section on monday this was a friday we'll see you checking you in on monday for a c-section and i burst into tears i was i was traumatized i was you know didn't was the last thing i wanted and i was so afraid and I remember him looking at me, I burst into tears, and he turned around and walked out, and did not console did not, you know, and the nurse that had been assisting came over and I call her my angel, because I didn't, um, I don't know her name. I never got her name, but she came over to me and she gave me a hug and she dried my tears and she whispered to me, she said, I'm studying to be a midwife and I think there's a way that you can move your baby. And I was like, what? She's like, I want you to go home and I want you to try these exercises. And she had me practice the exercises with her. She was, I want you to do them over the weekend. And so um, I did religiously over that weekend, do these exercises. And I went in um, on Monday, uh, just before the surgery, and I asked them to do an ultrasound just to confirm. And he did an ultrasound and he, the baby was head down baby had moved via these exercises. <laughs> and it was like, what? And he was so astonished. And he was a little disappointed, I think, because I was already 41 weeks, right? And so mm-hmm. it's like, so he ended up canceling the C-section and leaving, and I ended up having um, a vaginal birth. And so I also remember that the birth experience itself was also something. So, So right away, I was like, what's a midwife? You know, just from that one experience, I had this kind woman come dry my tears and tell me that there's another way and that she believed I could get my baby to turn after the doctor said, There's no way. We're just scheduling a C section and it worked. Like, I need to know more about this, right? And then throughout the process of labor, um, I remember being young and 19. And I remember getting to a point just after about an hour of labor with Pitocin um, mm-hmm. that they induced me with, I couldn't take my contractions anymore. And I said, I, I wanted to do this naturally, but I said, I, I need something. I can't do this. And the nurse, without even checking me since it had only been an hour, patted me on the knee and said, honey, you're, you're young. You've never had a baby before. We can't give you any medicine until you're at least four centimeters. You're not that. And then she walked away. And then I like crawled up on the bed. I thought to die. <laughs> like oh I just can't do this anymore. And my mom, who had had natural childbirth, went running back there and she demanded that the nurse come back and check me. And I was I was full. I was fully dilated and ready to push. So it was a very fast. Wow. Person. But you know, it was just the this experience with this woman who was training to be a midwife was so different than some of the other care that I had received. And it just sparked my curiosity so that when I pushed my baby out unmedicated, Mm -hmm. um, and he handed her to me, I said, Oh, she was on my chest. And I remember like exhaling. I said, the first thing I said, I want to do that all over again. And the doctor said, I have never had somebody tell me that quickly after birth. But it was like, you know, it was despite all of that, it was so empowering. And then being told or shown that there was another way, I was so curious. And from that day forward, I started looking into midwives, studying midwifery. And before I even became a midwife, I did things like be a doula. I was a doula before I knew what a doula was, you know, 25 <laughs> years ago to all of my friends and family. And, um, and so it, that's what sparked this um, desire in me. And it was that experience with one woman who I don't know and mm-hmm. have, you know, don't even know her name. The interesting thing though is that years later, I realized, because I always thought, why is she whispering in my ear that she's studying to become a midwife? Well, it was 1996, and in Minnesota, it was not legal. It was illegal. It was a funny kind Mm. of piece in in that history for them and so it's not necessarily something that you would say hey I'm doing this out loud and it wasn't until like I think 99 legislation was introduced then in Minnesota so um that's why it was kind of a hush hush from the nurse but I think that she was you know studying to be a
0: midwife but what a profound story I love that story I love Well, I don't think anything is by chance. I think that the opportunity for you to have that introduction to midwifery and have it be such a profound experience in your life has probably transformed a lot of other people's opportunities to know about midwifery. So thank you for sharing that. Good heavenly days. So at the age of 19 with one baby, Mm-hmm. You began to be interested in midwifery, but tell us yeah. a little bit about how you came to the point of actually pursuing it. Well,
1: I I knew I wanted to become a midwife. I just didn't know how, especially as a single mother, mm-hmm. how I was going to go about doing that. And so um, I thought, well, I'm going to break it up into little steps. So the first thing I could do is be there for anybody that I knew Mm -hmm. that was going through labor. And so I was that. I was their labor support. Once I learned in 2003 that there was actually a training and there was actually a certification should you want it. As a doula, I, I took the training and I became certified, but I was doing it for years before that. Um, I think many of us women have probably been supporting other women through birth, you know, for, for a long time before it had an actual name to it, but um and then um that dove me in a little deeper right so like I get the toes wet and um then I thought how can I become more involved and so I became a childbirth educator and went through certification for that started offering childbirth education um locally I also started uh offering lactation support I took a lot of lactation courses and um continuing education courses even though I wasn't certified I wasn't a a lactation consultant I I just started doing community help mm-hmm. um and so at that point then I actually became and then my next step was along the that line and along those journeys I was wanting to begin having more children and um and you know how difficult that can be so I began apprenticing with a midwife at first showing up to prenatal appointments and postpartum appointments and then birth assisting and, um, and doing that, but not diving into formal study yet. Um, because I still was creating my own family and it wasn't until, I had our final uh, baby who, uh, when she was a year old, that I entered formal education and Amika accredited school. And so for me, I apprenticed for about five years, and it mm-hmm. took me five years to complete my schooling aspects. So I did it for about 10 years before even becoming licensed, plus had all the years of doula training and Childbirth education and and that on top of it, so as I been said doing this for about twenty five okay. years now total
0: <laughs> wow, as I yeah. said, you speak from a volume of experience thats that 's yeah. quite a career to have whether you were in the officiated capacity for the whole right. time or not. the amount of experience you 've uh, ha- been able to grow from is is huge. Now, yeah. so tell me, was, were, was the majority of your experiences out of hospital, or did you have a kind of a, a combination of both?
1: The majority, um, well, I should say in the earlier part, it was all hospital. Uh-huh. I did not attend home births until probably around 2003 so from 96 to 2003 that was all hospital I was super interested I read read all of Ina May's stories and was super interested in in attending home birth or seeing home birth but I didn't until 2003 and then had a home birth with my son in 2004 so finally got to experience one then myself so, um, and since 2003, the majority has been home or out of hospital,
0: mm. yeah. And you actually think, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, tell me again, when you were, became a certified professional midwife, when was that?
1: That was in 2013, and then I became a licensed midwife um, in 2014.
0: And was all of this experience, what, have you always lived in this area here in Washington State? No, because you live in Minnesota. I had, I
1: had moved to Minnesota, but I was only there for a year, and during mm. that year was pregnant and gave birth. Wow. <laughs> so I am really just my roots are here in Washington,
0: mm. yeah, mm-hmm.
1: was just there for a year,
0: yes. And then you live on a, in a beautiful place. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
1: I do. So I live on Whidbey Island, which is a, is an island in the Puget Sound. Um, and we have I live on the south end of the island. It's actually a really Long Island. Um, on the north end, we actually have a Navy base and we have a bridge that connects to the mainland. Um, but on the south end where I am, there's a ferry system. And so we have a ferry that we take back and forth to the mainland. So yeah, I'm, I'm on an island.
0: Yes. Oh, it's, it's really quite lovely, an island in the sound and traveling by ferry. So I want to hear about your birth practice. You have a whole, uh, you said an unusual birth practice. Tell us about yes. that.
1: Yeah, I call it unique and I call it oh, unique, unique for, for many different reasons. Um, midwives, we all have the midwives model of care, which we all follow. Um, most midwives follow and, but Every, each of us has our own way of practicing. And so my practice is unique in a couple of different ways. I call it boutique midwifery and a boutique practice. And the way or reason I do that is it's a small practice by design. I only take on two births a month that I attend as a midwife. And the reason I do that is because I want to keep it a smaller, slower paced practice so my clients get my full attention and get meticulous care in that sense. I I have had experiences with busy practices, and I just don't feel like that fits with my lifestyle, especially with having children of my own still and raising. And it, I'm in this for the long haul. Midwives, um, midwives have burnout big time. I mean, we we are asked asked a lot of <laughs> and I realized this so I want a long-term thing so I went about when I set up my practice designing it with that in mind I had a few different things that I want to do with my life and I want midwifery to be a part of it for a long time but I also find joy and it to be an honor to help others um, learn this art and skill and so I've done teaching in the past or Curriculum writing. I've done um, mentoring and preceptoring. Um, I've spent a lot of times with midwifery students and that next generation in training them up and um, sharing this wisdom and knowledge. Uh, and I feel like when you're in a really busy practice, it's hard to take that quality time to do that. Um, I also am. Um, I'm a social justice advocate. And so I want there to be time carved out of my, um, in my life so that I can focus on that um, and, and changing things with health disparities and whatnot. And so I want to be able to devote, to devote time to some other pieces that do have to do with midwifery, but that are outside of just your general practice. So small by design, I only take two clients each month. Um, and then my practice and all my services are, um, are all in one. It's just one package that you get. So for example, um, all of my clients get any of the supplements that I think they need for free included it's not free i should say it's included in the service (laughs) fee (laughs) it's not free but you know um this to me is one way of tackling health disparities um everybody gets the same care everybody gets the same quality whole food based supplements everybody coming in gets the same um that to me is one of the ways that I personally tackle health disparities. I give everybody the same attention, the same supplements, the same everything. So if it's if it's important enough that I think they have it, I supply it to them. Um, same thing goes when it comes to birth. Um, when they have a home birth, because that's all I do. I don't have a birth center practice, just a home birth. Um, I provide them the Cadillac of all birth kits. (laughs) I mean, it's got everything in it. Um, They don't have to supply a thing because, again, um, inequities can come to play there. You know, people, it's costly to get some of these things. So when you pay my fee, you get, everybody gets the same. I also find it honestly easier as a midwife because (laughs) so many times you'll be like, oh, get out, go out and get these checks pads and they get like the, the, puppy pee pee pads or like (laughs) some other some other thing it's so it's it's nice for me to know that like I know it's in my kit and it's there at all times or you know um and and so they get that they get all the herbs I do lots of herbal support and I use Mm -hmm. herbs a lot in my in my care and so they get these um included. I make an herbal tea that everybody gets. I have um, an, an herbal peri tea and a peri spray that they all get for postpartum. Um, and so that, that all is included. Postpartum is one of my, that's my, that's my jam. I love mm-hmm. postpartum. Postpartum is where my heart is. <laughs> like there is nothing that warms my heart more. I mean, I love I love working with pregnant mamas. I love working with babies and the birth and all that. But postpartum, oh man. And and this is great cuz I'm about to be a grandmother yeah. <laughs> in September for the first time and I'm like my daughter's going to have to kick me out. Like <laughs> <laughs> but I love just maybe it is just coming into that grandmother aspect. But I just, I love going in there. I love bringing um, or taking meals to people. So many times for my postpartum visits, which I do plenty of, I do day one, day three, day five, day 10, three weeks, and six weeks. So they get six visits from me. Every time I go, there's something special about that visit. We're either going to do footprints. We're going to do a baby herbal bath. We're going to, um, the moms all get a massage from a licensed therapist about three weeks postpartum that I provide them as again, part of the package and part of the free, the the fee. Um, again, everybody gets the same. So when I say unique and boutique, it's because it incorporates all these things for everybody. Um, and that's the thing. And and for those people out there that are like, how in the <laughs> heck can you afford this? <laughs> because, like, you know, midwives do not have large salaries. We are not bringing in the bank at all. The answer is also unique in that I do not accept insurance contracts. And I don't contract with insurance, and I don't accept insurance in that sense. I will bill as an out-of-network provider. But when I ask for my fee, I get a full fee. It also provides me great um, – I'm also, because I don't contract with insurance companies, bound by insurance law, rule, policy in that sense. So I can barter and trade with my clients. I can set up payments for however long somebody might need. Um, we can be really creative in, in how we get that, that fee taken care of. And so that's um, probably the, because most people, most midwives I talk to about this are like, there's no way I could afford to do that. And there's (laughs) no way. And it is true. It's true. You would have to do it differently, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's my, my different and unique kind of practice in a nutshell.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that design, that intentional Mm -hmm. design specifically to make the care across the board, the same model. and yeah. that I haven't I haven't seen that before, mm-hmm. and there is many different um, ways that those disparities show up in all the different settings. Home setting not being an excuse from it. right but so I had I just would love to applaud you in doing this and in creating this you still you you still have if you do two uh two a month Mm -hmm. you still how much time do you actually have where you're not on call
1: well not much you're still you're still Mm -hmm. pretty much on call but there's only two people calling (laughs) or, you know what I'm saying? So my full load, if I have, you know, I don't know, you look out eight months, I'll have anywhere from eight to 16 clients instead of 40, you know? So it's a lot less of those calls, you know, and it does allow time then for me to focus on the other interests that I have as far as midwifery goes.
0: Well, it makes absolute sense. Then how do you, one of the, Hurdles that many midwives have to address is malpractice, the insurance, mm-hmm. and the yep. malpractice can be extremely expensive. It can. So, but
1: it's th- one of the largest bills for a midwife, usually aside mm-hmm. from if they have a lease. But yeah,
0: right. Yeah. Right.
1: So to address that, um, the reason it's so expensive is one, they it's based on your volume that you do right so when we all fill out our um, our annual piece to the to the malpractice insurance we're telling them how many births we've done or we expect to do this next year mine are a lot less than most people's so one that brings my any premiums down Um, two you don't have to carry the 1 million, 3 million, um, aggregate that insurance companies require of you. That is a large sum of malpractice is how much you're actually paying for. So you could carry a lesser amount mm. for lesser money. Um, and three, it also leaves you the option of not doing malpractice, should you mm-hmm. choose to do that. So, like, you don't have that option if you are contracting oh. with health insurance companies. You have to have malpractice. So, not contracting helps with um, opening options for midwives. You know, you could you could opt to have a lesser um, malpractice policy. You could opt to not have one. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so it. And then, of course, if you are um, not having if you're charging more, if you're getting your full fee for your prices or for your services, you don't have to take on as many. Um, mo- many times you have to hit a minimum um, amount of clients or patients in order to be able to make it because the insurance um, doesn't pay out as much. So
0: correct, yeah. Correct. And then recently on another interview with actually Susie Meyer, she was mentioning that, um, uh, that over 50% of births are Medicaid or yep. Medicaid eligible. So has this been an, a problem for people that would be covered with Medicaid or something? How do they, over, how do they overcome that?
1: Yeah, so far I've found ways to work with it. Um, mm-hmm. I can reduce my fee, um, and, I, and I do. One thing that I do every year is I do a birth pro bono. Um, So I pick um, a family that is just in need that I know would have a hard time paying my fee. And I just do the, uh, do the care for free. Um, But most of the time I've been able to find a way for it to work because we can do trades. Um, It's like, Old school. That's been the thing that people have done since like the beginning of time, since midwifery began. It's like, here's some chickens and a goat or a mule, or, you know, I'm going to come over and do this. Or so it works. And if it's something that I would spend money on anyways, and I don't have to because they're providing it to me, I don't care if it comes in the form of cash or if it comes, you know, by another means and so I'm super flexible I also will take a hundred dollars a month until you pay off your bill like I'm not right. it doesn't have to be and so I've found ways to work I will say that there is part of me that has struggled with the with the way of doing my setting up my practice because of that though mm-hmm. um and I one of the reasons some that I'm able to do this is because there, there are other options to people, even on Whidbey Island that have Medicaid, they mm. could still have a home birth. If they don't see me, we have another practice, um, on the Island. They could still have a birth center birth. They could go to the hospital and have their birth. They can utilize that if it's something that they really can't afford. If that wasn't there, I don't know how I'd feel about this, but I've not found somebody that hasn't been able, we haven't been able to work something out. Um, because I can reduce the fee because I can, um, you know, again, I have all the creative power when I, when I don't have a contract, um, with health insurance companies. So
0: yeah, that, yeah, I, I'm sitting here and marveling at your creativity with this. Was this something that you just designed yourself or had you seen it already? Or how did you come to it? I had already?
1: not seen it. In fact, mm-hmm. I actually never saw myself opening um, my own practice um, or, or being a solo practitioner. Um, but when this kind of became what was going to happen, I was like, hey, if I'm going to do it, What are the ways I can do it? Mm -hmm. And you know how you said you don't believe everything happens for a reason? Um, A lot of my schooling and part of what I started teaching was a business course um, because it's like, okay, I've had – and it's great because I've had different experiences. I've taken insurance, I've not taken insurance. I've given, I've not done any insurance billing or I've just let the client do the insurance billing, you know, not do that. Or I've, you know, I've done it like so many different ways. And I've I've had different ways of practicing and it's evolved into what it is now. Um, and along the way, I've learned a lot that I've also been able then to take and teach back and, and say, hey, here's my experience. And I love even like when I, when I am able to teach, gaining back wisdom too, and hearing how other people do it. And one of the cool things is is, is when I would teach, um, which was for the Midwives College of Utah, it taught students across the country right? And even in other countries. So it's not just, it's like, wow, here I have been pretty much in Washington state my whole life and my whole midwifery career has been in Washington. But hearing like, oh my goodness, there's a bigger world out there of midwifery. And what are the midwives over here doing? And what are those over here doing? And getting to hear and gain and glean from some of that wisdom too, has been so helpful. And part of the reasons why I love having that teaching aspect and learning aspect in my life constantly.
0: Absolutely. Well, it just, it clearly, it sparks, it sparks so much energy to have that input and that outflow. And, and it's so necessary to be developing the next generation of midwives. Oh for sure. And to be open to new solutions because clearly there's things to address that so far we haven't been able to really resolve. And so right. we have to be looking in new ways and with more people and always be always be growing, growing yeah. in our knowing. And yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, that is, that is just delightful. Now I I do, I am curious. So you live on the island. Is everyone you serve on the island?
1: No, not necessarily. Like I've, I've gone up, um, you know, when you think about, so I consider myself rural because we, you know, are on an island. <laughs> um, and when you live in rural areas, um, you're, The areas that you serve, your service area can kind of get up pretty far to where I know midwives in eastern Washington that will serve a radius of three or four hours around them. Um, So, no, I don't just limit it to um, the island. And that's also the reason that. I only have two clients a month you know it's like I'm not like someplace else and oh there's three people that might go into labor on Whidbey Island um so it's it kind of also allows for that um but yeah I'll I'll do off-island deliveries as well
0: Hmm. yeah as
1: long as they're willing to come to me for prenatal
0: that's just what (laughs) what I was going to ask you so (laughs) do you do you have office space or is your you do you have you have a separate office then (laughs)
1: Yeah, so I actually was, I had actually office space on my, in my house and my property. It's, it was separated. And that's where I had started, um, my practice, uh, for a while I was doing that for a while I would go and do all visits in home. Um, and then I found this beautiful space, um, that I'd never really had a clinic space and it's, I have this clinic space and I love it. I have all my things there. It makes it so much easier. And so now I actually have clinic space and I have a couple of days a week, Tuesdays, Thursdays, that I offer for prenatal um, visits. I do my postpartum visits all in the home, mm-hmm. except for three weeks and six weeks. They'll come to me in clinic then, but most of those I will. So I do travel to clients' homes still. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find that the clinic helps me um, separate work because it's so easy when I'm inside my house, and even though it's just a few steps, it's, it's there's a little literal physical boundary. It's like, oh, I could just walk over there and fax that over real quick, you know. But yes. when I'm home and I've locked the door and I'm not at the office, it's it's like you leave it there, and and there's something I really like about that too. So, I just opened the clinic in um, March of 2020, just as the pandemic hit. Oh. So, I have not been able to have like an open house and like really kind of introduce it to everybody yet. Um, but yeah, I, I really do like my clinic space. So,
0: well, that's exciting. That's a that's a coming a coming attraction to be able to yes. come to this open house. Well, I for one. Would love to come and visit your space. So well, you're I getting will an there. invitation,
1: that's for sure.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I would not want to miss that at all. Yeah. At yeah. all. So I would love to know if you have, and I'm sure you have many, many stories, but can you tell us one that is kind of stands out to you as being one of the most heartwarming ones of yes.
1: Of like of a birth. Mm-hmm. or of a or or
0: the care or a birth or a, or the serving of a family or yeah yeah
1: yeah one of them um that stands out was was years ago um there was a a large family on our island who's had you know that had many 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 babies and um they have a very they had a very small house and and lots of kiddos and i have what, four siblings? And like, and I thought we were close, you know, I mean, I I would consider us close. But the love that I saw in this Mm. family was absolutely amazing. The mom was in the tub laboring to deliver, I think it was their ninth child. And the other, and the kids were sitting in a row, like tallest to (laughs) smallest. And they're all like, Spring so quietly but they were they were so excited like a genuine excitement and love for this sibling to welcome and the oldest one was off like at college on the phone on speaker as like this family came together there was a little fire going and um and the father was there and the, the mother-in-law was in the corner knitting and and I think praying and it was like it was it was so beautiful. Like the, the genuine love and excitement that you saw at that birth, I thought, wow, it was, it was really breathtaking mm-hmm. that everybody was so intent and involved and just, you know, and you might think like, this is their ninth baby by this time, you know, it's like, Meh. but no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a big deal and it was just so beautiful, beautiful to see. So when I think back, like, that just it warms my heart, mm-hmm. and it just fills my heart to be able just to be there and witness that and soup that up. So that's so beautiful.
0: That's so beautiful. Yeah.
1: That's yeah. So
0: beautiful. That's, yeah. Uh, well, I know that for all of us as midwives, we have just so gleaned so many memories and so many rich relationships with families. And I'm certain that over your practice, you've been able to be with a family for more than one baby, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. So you get to see the family growing in each one and each addition yes. and how delightful that is. Is there a way other than that, when they come back with another baby, that you have contact with folks? Um,
1: oh, yeah. And I welcome that. I feel like... I feel like a part of their family. And that's, again, having this small practice. It's like, I don't just want to know their partner's name, their children's. I want to know their dog's name. You know, it's like, I want to, I want to know everything about them. And so it's really hard to get to the end of mm-hmm. care and not to have felt part of this family. And so, oh yes, I get, I get cards, I get, and I love them and I get pictures and I try to meet up for tea or coffee or beach meetups or different <laughs> things of lunches. I get together a lot with my clients. Of course, with COVID, I, the last right. like year and a half or two, I haven't been doing that and I've really missed it, but I still keep in contact. I will text or email, will be, email back and forth. And I love that. I love that. I know my clients and became such a special part of their lives. Um, and i don't want to be in the grocery store and run into somebody and go oh, what was her name <laughs> or like i think i was at her birth you know which can happen and i and so far i haven't had that happen since opening my own practice but and i love that so yeah mm-hmm. i'm in contact for for a while yeah right
0: right right <laughs> yeah. when you're based in the community or when you're based it as a home birth midwife then you really are especially in a small community you're always going to find people at the farmer's market or yeah. at here or at there. Totally. And that celebration just can go on and go forth. Continue. It's, it's just the richness of being a midwife. It, it really yeah. is. It's one of the best You
1: things. know, my favorite is when I do run into somebody and they have a moment. If I'm with my husband or my children, and they're like, "Your mama caught this baby," or like, "Your mom is so special." To me, there that says something, and and. For those out there that might hear this voice, if if you're one of those people who who happen to run across family members, children, or partners of a midwife, you know, they give up us. They give us up a lot. Um, We miss dinners. We miss events, whether it's their sporting stuff or their what. And so it's nice to sometimes hear like, oh, gee, that's pretty cool. My mom caught that baby or that kiddo or, you know, and so I feel like that almost is even more rewarding because then they have something to be proud of, you know, and cause they just normally see us saying goodbye and then coming home right. tired or whatever. <laughs> they don't really get to see like, Oh, this, you were actually a part of this really big event, you know?
0: Yes. So. The, the sacrifices you're speaking about the sacrifices yeah. that are made and they're made by your family, but they're also made by you. Can you yeah. tell me how you have, navigated that in a way that you know clearly there's a commitment and I know that and that that is the most important thing but there's also that bit of how do you do that self-care how do you keep yourself whole yeah and I'm curious how you do that I just want you to speak to that
1: Well, another reason for having a smaller practice um, that allows me time, Um, I do it in many different ways. For a long time, I felt I was so busy, I wouldn't pick up things um, or pick up hobbies or Mm -hmm. find ways to kind of for personal fulfillment outside of midwifery. So I started doing things. I purchased a cello and started taking lessons. I planted a garden and started, I started reading, making myself read Mm -hmm. non-midwifery related (laughs) books. (laughs) That was, that was big. And I found some that I really enjoyed. So I, I try to find ways to incorporate things be creative or find things that are personally fulfilling in my life and do them on a regular basis um one thing that i do is body work after every birth Mm. so when there's a birth i feel like that's a physically demanding on our bodies we're lacking sleep you know we're in wonky positions or bending over for some time so I listen to my body and I ask what it needs after every birth and I make myself do at least, well, do I need a massage? Do I need a chiropractic adjustment? Could my feet use a good pedicure? You know, there's Mm. something that I kind of indulge in after each birth, since it's physically demanding, um, that I have myself do. And then I, I have had to work to find things that are personally fulfilling and, go out and start doing them. (laughs) Mm.
0: That's such a wonderful example, you know, for for all of us as midwives. Too often they say that saying that the mom is also the last that gets things done, the last to eat, the last to this, the last to that. But there's the counterside of that of if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So having that where you can set those priorities and boundaries which you mentioned which are so important of really being able to to live those things because that's what keeps you whole now there there is a flip side and i and i just have to ask is there a particular challenging situation that you have faced and how did that go for you well
1: um you mean practice or in practice or or in
0: well i think that you could choose how you want to answer that (laughs) because you know the way that we have challenges can be in many different forms but
1: well i'll pick the one that that came up first because it was something i was going to add to this this last question and bit so that is that i'm a type 1 diabetic Mm. and so being a type 1 diabetic is challenging in and of itself sometimes. But being a type 1 diabetic, when you're in a profession that is so demanding in so many other areas, it is very challenging to create balance. Um, And so I would have to say that that is probably my biggest challenge. Like you said, you know, mother's always the last one to eat. Well, you know, I have to, if, or I'm going to get low blood sugar. So I have to think of all these extra things when I take off to a birth, like I take off anywhere else. Do I have enough insulin on board? how many days or how long am I going to be gone? i got to be prepared for that. You know, do I have snacks to help stabilize my blood sugar? Do I have something to treat a low blood sugar with? Um, Do I have enough test strips with me? You know, um, and when you get into the zone of birth, it's really difficult to remember to do those things. You know, it's like, oh, just pause a moment. Let me just go check my blood sugar. And, you know, it's really hard to do those things. And how often or how difficult is it for those of us who are live on call lifestyles to schedule appointments to keep ourselves? <laughs> so it's like, you know, all these doctor or health appointments that I have, I have to really work at getting In to see these providers and keeping those appointments. So that's probably one of the biggest challenges and also something I took into account when designing the practice and designing Mm -hmm. it the way I had. um, Because The chronic stress that we get under Mm -hmm. um leads to inflammation and when you have a a chronic disease autoimmune disease like type 1 diabetes you're dealing with inflammation as it is so um really trying to keep that balance and and more reason to fill you know my cup in other ways to take Mm -hmm. time out you know to really focus so i would have to say that day in day out that's probably my biggest challenge and it it is something I struggle with. I feel like honestly, if I were to be honest, if I had a different job, I would probably have a little better health and and, and mm-hmm. um I would say and uh I I guess I'd have a tighter control of the diabetes than I mm-hmm. do, although I do a pretty darn good job, Um, mm-hmm. way better than I think some people out there. But, <laughs> but you know, I'm sure it's a factor, and yeah. I've got to just remember to take that time.
0: Another one of my dear friends ha- is also a midwife and a yes. type 1 diabetic, and that I have watched um, more upfront and personal, you know, and it, yeah. it really is – an added an added uh consideration that i have never had to think about so right. i really admire and appreciate that you sharing that
1: you're yeah. sharing
0: the just the realness of our lives and whatever it is however i have to say if you were not doing this emotionally okay. mentally you're life would not nearly be as fulfilled as it is by doing this and i know this is that true. <laughs> and this i know is that. True. Exactly. And that and that counts that counts double doesn't it
1: <laughs> yes yeah i hope my mom is listening to this <laughs> she can hear that from somebody else besides me
0: <laughs> oh yeah it is absolutely so true i want to do a little different dive I yeah. know of your, your interest in social justice, but I also know that you've been involved as well with training midwives and all of that part. But tell me a little bit about your your involvement with midwifery organizations. Tell me about yeah. that piece.
1: Yes. So I am the board chair of the Washington Alliance for Responsible Midwifery, or WARM, and have been for a few years now, three or four I think, um, and just love that opportunity. Um, I don't know. I like to call it more because I'm more of an activist activism Mm -hmm. rather than political something or other. Sometimes that, that um, sometimes I cringe when I hear that word. And so I like to call it more like activism. It's more like, I don't know, action oriented and positive. Um, And so I really like being, having that activism aspect and helping to support Washington midwives um, and families as they in their birth options and keeping that, um, that healthy. And so I have um, been chair of this organization, organization for a few years now, and we, we recently formed a new committee, the Midwifery Advocacy Committee. Um, because, you know, activism, advocacy. Um, and so we are really looking at supporting the midwives um, in our state through um, anything they have going on as far as barriers or issues or really kind of just revamping the um, the way things are done in our state and have been done in our state. So um, I've seen some big changes in these last few years, and I feel like these, and there are more on the horizon, and I am really excited about that. It's super exciting to me.
0: Mm, yeah. That is, and this organization is not limited to professionals. I happen to know it
1: is not. No, it's it's for anyone that wants to support midwives or families in Washington State. Yeah, you do not need to be. It's not just a professional organization. Anyone can support it, and we're always looking for um, for help. Um, in our endeavors. So,
0: Mm. yeah. And can you tell us any, any like opportunities of people seeing themselves, how they could help or participate?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have lots of different ways. One, you can eat if if you don't have time to give. If you wanted just to become a member of Warm, you can do that. Um, if you that alone, just in your your payment of your membership, helps us be able to fund some of the programs or endeavors that we have. Um, if you had time to give, we're always looking for people to join our committees. Our committees are made up of different topics and different areas whether it's membership and PR, um, whether it is our research um, committee that looks into research and education within um, midwifery. Uh, If you're somebody that wants to join the more activism aspects of the midwifery advocacy committee, we have a review committee, which um, handles all of our peer reviews and all of our incident reviews for our professional members. Um, and we also have um, our events committee, where we put on events um, within the communities uh, for families and for providers on various topics. And for providers, we focus on continuing education. So we have many different ways that you might be able to um, lend your thoughts, your mind, some of your Talents um, in in these areas by joining some of our committees, so or attending some of our events when you see them out there.
0: Mm, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. And then that, how do they get to this organization?
1: <laughs> um, well, they can get to it by our website. It's warmmidwives.com. All
0: right, excellent, excellent. Yeah. I always want for people to have that. Uh, in my in my during my years of being a community based midwife, I would have. A um, lot of families, or at least a fair amount of families, who chose not necessarily to tell everyone about them that they were doing a home birth because there wasn't a lot, a big level of support. Do you find that the people that you're serving are like that, or do you find that there's just much more of a knowing that this is the model of care and that their families always adhered to it and that it's generational what's been your experience
1: you know i've seen a shift i definitely Mm. have seen what you're talking about um and but i've also kind of seen a shift in my local community i think different communities are a little different locally here in my birth community Um, home birth has been something that was practiced actually through um, the church, through religion. There were just religious women that would, that would attend other women on this island because there wasn't very, there weren't very many services. Um, And then it's grown into, um, you know, a more of a profession. And so I think in my small community here, you don't come across that as often. But in other communities, because I do know them in working with WARM and I do hear from other midwives, that can be different. But all over, like if you were to take a temperature, I have to say that there's a shift. People are aware, I think, that home birth happens whether or not they accept it or agree with it or think it's an okay option is a different thing um, that can definitely change in communities or even with the under the the guise of local leadership or um, maybe local hospitals uh, but I I can't, I don't think anybody's denying that it happens or doesn't know that it happens. And so I think that there's a little bit of a shift in an awakening with that. Um, and hopefully that temperature's changing a little bit, mm. but it does, I feel fine. It has to do with where you are locally and what mm. your community is like.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then how, do, how do you think we could transform it on the level of the country? of how in the whole United States, not just Washington state, actually, I believe is one of the more progressive states when it comes to yeah. midwifery. But yeah. what are your thoughts on how we could make that more known?
1: So for um, the International Midwifery, um, International Day of Midwives, um, Evidence-Based Birth put out a, a little podcast on um on kind of the history of midwifery and where we are in our country and it was really super interesting because it reminded me Um, it kind of you know how I said we're in Washington State and and teaching at a school that taught throughout the country gave me a bigger um, a bigger lens well this went even bigger because it went around the world and it talked about how in other countries midwives are the primary provider for Mm -hmm. maternity care services and obstetricians work really well but it's integrated much better and then it, it gave an example How we are so non-integral. Like, like it's not like we can say in the U.S. This is how things are. It's each individual state has some states um, certified nurse midwives can practice, but they have to practice under a doctor. In other states, they can practice anywhere they want, but in some states, they can't do home birth or birth center birth. It has to be in a hospital. So you really have to like ask. Where, what state you're in and how things work. Some states, um, home birth is illegal. They have no certified professional midwives or um, traditional midwives at all. And, and you can't do that. In other states, they license them. and other states, they they kind of, so it's, it's, and then nothing is integrated. Nothing is ever the same into the bigger medical system. So it's, pretty dysfunctional right now and it's a really big question because because how Mm -hmm. do you I mean in in other countries they just have one type of midwife and that one type of midwife can do births at home in the hospital wherever it's just you just go to that midwife until that midwife has you see the doctor for you know in our country we have Certified nurse midwives, certified professional midwives, licensed midwives, certified uh, midwives. And, you know, it's like we have so many different ways. and It means so many different things. Some of us can use medications. Other of us can't. You know, some of us can give IVs. Some of us can't. It's so disorganized and dysfunctional. I would really like to see it better integrated and a little more kind of functional. What else was on your heart? So there's just a couple of things because I feel like the larger population, um, if you're somebody that supports midwives and midwifery, we have on the horizon some pretty big changes um, legislative-wise that can add to or supplement midwifery. And so just to be on the lookout for those, they're going to, there's a Sunrise review process that'll probably hopefully come out next year. Um, there is um, some birth center, freestanding birth center regulation changes that will be coming out this fall, um, and each opportunity they open it up for public comments and so those are very important. Use your voice and let them know what it is that you're wanting and wanting for others within Washington State and so when they open these laws or when they're looking at changing things um, be on the lookout and listen um, and make some comments. So again fall there'll be some about birth center regulations. I would love to see more birth centers um, opening especially in March communities by marginalized midwives I think that's super important and many of the barriers and things are looking at changing in that law would make it easier for people to be able to open their birth centers so take a look at that when that comes out in October ish or um, fall and then next year with a sunrise review when they open the licensed midwifery um, statute or law um, the RCW to look at making some changes then too
0: that's great it's so wonderful to have have somebody that can tell you ahead of time there's something coming that we want you to pay yeah. attention to so uh, let's get the specifics <laughs> on how we get a hold of you and-
1: the easiest way is probably the website my practice name is assist in a miracle and my website is assistinamiracle.com
0: and One- wonderful well this has been my joy to have this time with you i thank you i thank you so much well, that's it for this week's episode of midwife after hours Special thank you again to Crystal Ogle and also to Terry Spring, the love of my life and the producer of my program. I'll catch you in the air next week, same time, same place, right here on Valley 104.9 FM.